Good morning, everyone, and those that are watching online, good morning to you. Glad that you're joining us. I'm glad that everyone is here. It's always good. Listen, it ought to be like family reunion, right? When God's people gather together in His house to encourage, to love, uh, to hear from His Word, to respond in worship. Um, man, what a time. It ought to be our favorite time of the week, I think, and, and most beneficial time for us. Our mission at New Horizons is to bring glory to God by loving Him the most, uh, by loving others as Jesus has loved us, and by making disciples of all nations. We believe that, we, uh, that you grow in those areas of loving Him the most, of loving each other as Christ loved us, and of making disciples by living in community. Community that starts here in a large group where you're just greeted and, and, and worship together and have the joy uh, of worshiping Him. And then, uh, but it continues in a smaller group where you're known and cared for and study the Scripture. But even we believe there's a smaller group just as Jesus had Peter, James, and John that He did things with that He didn't do the others that you all, uh, that their smaller group comes together to hold each other accountable and to talk about things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise and that to grow. Well, before I begin the message this morning, I know that there are some kids that are saying, where's children's church and why are we not going to children's church? So uh, children's church is now there and Miss Chris, you can line up behind Miss Chris and head that way. Okay. And while they're lining up and getting ready to roll with Miss Chris, we'll, we'll be in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Okay. Our, our, reading, our reading guide for this week says that we would do Romans 9 in two weeks, but... I have, um, as I studied and thought through that, it just feels like you can't. I don't want to leave us hanging halfway through chapter 9. If I leave you hanging halfway through chapter 9, some of you may quit church and never come back. <laughs> so I want to be sure that we get to the end of chapter 9 so that there's clarification and understanding of exactly what's going on, okay? So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time you've given us to be here and together. Thank you, Father, that we have your word in our language in a book sitting on this desk before us. That in itself is a miracle. And I thank you for that this morning. Now, Father, may we honor you by honoring your word and allowing it to say what it says and not what we want it to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I think something that will help us in chapter 9 is to think about what is said at the end of the book in chapter 16 when Paul is sharing his closing remarks. And what we realize in the closing remarks of, of, the, of the letter to the Romans is we realize the setup of the whole letter. And the setup of the whole letter is like this. Paul is in a room, probably under house arrest, I think, at this time. He's in this room, and there's a group of people in this room with him. Timothy is named as one of them. Uh, and Paul is beginning to teach them this letter. And as he's teaching them this letter, another guy, and I can't pronounce his name, but I would tell you, I think it's T-Rex or something like that. Tertullus. Tertullus. 
is writing down as Paul is speaking. So I believe what takes place throughout the book of Romans that you and I don't get to see sometimes is I believe as Paul is teaching, and can you imagine getting to be in that room when Romans is taught for the first time live? Pretty incredible, right? Well, there's, it gets better than that because I believe what was going on in that day and time, how they learned is they would teach and ask questions, teach and ask questions, teach and ask questions. Well, the deal is, so it was learned through dialogue. So I think what was going on through the book of Romans is Timothy was going, uh, I got a question, Paul. What did you mean by this? Paul, what did you mean by this? Paul, wouldn't you have liked to have been in the room to be able to say, Paul, what does that mean exactly? What is that word you're using right there? And is that, the, is that what that means? So I believe what happens, you've got to remember, at the end of chapter 8, when we think about chapter 8, and we spent six weeks in chapter 8, one week in chapter 9, everybody said hallelujah, right? So, So as we move to chapter 9, there's a question, I think, that one of the people are asking. And the question is this. If chapter 8 is true, Paul... And, and I give us the chain that we are called, it's the center link that, we are, that we're called, that when you and I heard the gospel and our eyes were opened and you and I trusted, we repented, we believed, we trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we were called, then we can look up the chain and know that we were foreknew that God set His love on us as the first chain, that we were predestined in the time that we were in, the second chain, and to be conformed to the image of His Son. And we can look down the chain to know that we are justified, that all of Christ's obedience has been deposited into our account, and that, we, and that He has taken all of our iniquity to the cross, and that we are glorified. And all of these are past tense, and all of these are a linked chain a link chain that connects us to heaven that cannot be broken. And therefore, he ends chapter 8 by saying, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. It's impossible to be separated from the love of Christ once we're in him. You can't be. You're always there. So So Timothy, I think, would have asked Paul this question. Paul, if chapter 8 is true, then what happened to Israel? Was Israel not called, and why did they reject Jesus? If chapter 8 is true, what happened to Israel, Paul? I think that would have been the question that Timothy and them would have been asking Paul. Because Paul takes a transition and he spends chapter 9 talking about Israel and asking that very question. So let's look at it together. I'm going to look, we're going to walk through this verse by verse today. I'm not going to jump around. We're going to walk through it. Look at what Paul says first. He said, I am speaking the truth in Christ, in verses 1 through 3. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. <laughs> Somebody said earlier, said every time somebody starts a statement that says, I'm not lying, I automatically think they're lying. (laughs) 
That's probably true, isn't it? He says, I am not lying. My conscience bears, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Listen to what verse. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now what is this sorrow and this anguish in his heart? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Remember what he's just... What has what he just finished chapter 8 with? He's just finished chapter 8 with nothing, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And now right at this moment, he is saying, Man, if I could be separated for the love of Christ and my brothers be saved, that's what I would do. Can you imagine this heart? Can you imagine this anguish? Can you imagine what he's thinking? Look, if I could be cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I just would wonder to each of us today. Paul knew that he couldn't do that. Paul just taught us chapter 8. He can't be separated from Christ. He knew that. But his heart was and his anguish was, man, I love people. And I love lost people. And I want lost people to come to Christ. I realize something that needs to be realized in our nation today, that we're not fighting each other, we're fighting for each other. If we could get a hold of that we're fighting for, for. That's what Paul was saying. I'm fighting for the souls of men and women, children. I'm fighting for their soul. I'm fighting for their conscience. I'm fighting for their life. If we could ever get a hold of that. Now look, so there's that. So he wants to be clear about that. His heart for them. Because I'm sure that there were, Jew, there were Gentiles who felt that the Jews did Jesus terribly. And who cares if they ever come to Christ, right? That has kind of been a thought through the years. That's kind of lingered. That the Jews were terrible people for how they did Jesus. Paul was saying, I want them all to come to Christ. Now, look at verses 4 and 5. Paul continues. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption. What, what, watch what all belongs to them. The adoption is found in Exodus 4.22. The glory, it's found in Exodus 29, 42 through 45. The covenants, Genesis 15 with Abraham, Exodus 29 with Moses, 2 Samuel 23 with David. The giving of the law, Exodus, right? The worship, the, the temple, the, 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 the promises of being able to meet face to face with God, to have the glory come down, and then the promises to always be, and it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 5. To them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ. Well, what was that? He said, good question, Timothy. If Romans 8 is true, what happened to Israel? They had it all. They were given everything God ever had, including Christ. So how did they get here? How did they get here? Look at what he says to them in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. 
It is not as if the Word of God has failed. He wants to be just clear right off the bat. Listen to me. I know that Israel had everything. They had the calling. And I understand that, that um, some of them rejected. But the Word of God has not failed. And then he begins to tell how. For not all who are descended from Israel... Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So look at this. Not, not just because you were a descendant of Abraham did not make you a child of Abraham. This means that it is not the children of the flesh... Not the flesh, but the children of the promise. Remember the miraculous child that was Isaac, born in his old age. But the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, one forf our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born, listen to what he says. Though they were not yet born, had not done anything, nothing, neither good or bad, period, nothing, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Not because of works. That his election might continue. That God's plan might continue. That his mercy might continue. Not because they're working their way forward. Remember, Abraham never worked for anything. It was by faith. He trusted and believed, right? Everybody staying with me. I know we're moving. Just stay with me. So she was told the older will serve the younger which is unheard of. The younger always serve the older. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Wow. This is one of the toughest passages, I think, in all of Scripture. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. One, one, one writer, this might help you, one writer says that in the Greek language it might have been translated like this, Jacob I have preferred over Esau. Jacob I love, but listen to me, you say, well, and I want to just dig deep into this for just a minute, I want us to get a hold of this just real closely. Because everybody still wants to say, well, let's look at Jacob's life. Let's look at Esau's life. You might not want to go there because Jacob, his name itself means deceiver. And when you look at his life, it wasn't rosy and good. He, was, he lived up to what his name meant. He was a deceiver. Whereas, if you look at Esau's life, good guy. A hunter, a man's man, hairy chest, cool dude. All of that and more. Huh? Jacob at home cooking. I've 
chosen him. I picked him. Look, look with me. I want before I before I talk further about that, I want to look at verses 15, 14, 15, 16. So Paul says in verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? He can, he can hear Timothy, and maybe Timothy asked this question and the writer wrote it. I don't know. Is there injustice on God's part? Is it injustice? That, that God would love Jacob and hate Esau or prefer, even to prefer Jacob over Esau. Is it injustice? Listen to what Paul says. He says, by no means. By no means. You remember the last time Paul used words like that? It is when he was telling us, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, right? It's the most emphatic way of saying no. All right? Stay, stay with me. By no means. And then listen to what he says. For he said, verse 15, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that... So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. But would you hear me just a moment? Let's think through mercy. If God gives mercy to somebody, did they deserve it? If they deserved it, it's not mercy, correct? So then... Where is all of mankind? As we think about Romans 3, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did it not? So therefore, can we acknowledge and say, nobody deserves mercy. Is that a true statement? So then, is God unjust... When he shows mercy to a group and he doesn't show mercy to another group. He's not unjust. In the American society, it doesn't seem fair. One writer said this about this chapter. This chapter's not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. Charles Spurgeon tells this story. He said, I was preaching from this text. And after I got done preaching, a woman came to me and she said, Pastor Charles, or whatever she would have called him, I am troubled that God would hate Esau. Charles Spurgeon replied, he said, I'm not troubled by that. He said, I think we're all deserving of hell. He said, I'm troubled that he loved Jacob. I'm not troubled that he, 
didn't show mercy, I'm troubled that he has shown mercy. Can you and I please sit this morning and bask in that truth for just a moment? It's not that God... Listen, if you're here this morning and you're hearing the gospel and you've responded to the gospel, listen to me. God has shown mercy on your life. God has called you. Therefore, you're foreknew, predestined, justified, glorified because you've been called. Listen, He has done that for you. Can you just, with humility, say, I can't believe it. God, you have shown me mercy. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it, God. Why would you show me mercy? Why would you love me? I can't believe you'd love me. Now listen, some of you all think you're a part of the Trinity, but I'm going to tell you something. If you look in Chris Thomas's life on a weekly basis, I give God plenty of reasons this week for him not to love me. Plenty of times this week I give him all the ammunition he needed. Boy, it's a good thing his mercy's new every day because I need it. I need it. Man, His mercy, His grace is upon us. Now let's continue. Because it gets worse before it gets better. Yes, it does. For the Scriptures, verse 17 is where I'm at. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Oh. It just got really difficult, didn't it? Because... All of us were basking in the truth that God showed His mercy on us, that God loved us. It's unbelievable recognizing and knowing that we didn't, weren't deserving of that. But then he came come to that place and he said, but he hardened Pharaoh. Well, I want to stop just a minute. I want to dig into this just a little bit. First thing, when you read this story, and I didn't do it. I should have went back and done this, but I hadn't planned on this, and just things changed this morning. But when you go back and you read this, more, this story, what you learn is that Pharaoh began to harden his heart before God began to harden his heart. What you learn is that for 400 years, God gave Pharaoh and the Egypt opportunity to repent and turn to him. Can you imagine? Hey, listen, how merciful are you with your neighbor? God spent 400 years with Egypt. How, how, how patient and merciful and compassionate are you with those who don't like you and have you enslaved? 400 years, he gave them that opportunity, and then he still continued, and they began to harden his heart. So I want to read Romans 1. I want to read this to you, because I want us to remember this scripture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress. They push down the truth. They know the truth's there, but they just push it down. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God has shown it to them. It's plain. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In these things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish foolish hearts. See, this is what takes place. When Pharaoh, listen, he understood. He knew there was a God. He knew the truth. He knew what was going on. But he began to reject that truth. He began to reject that God. And he wouldn't repent and turn to him. So he began to harden his heart. And God began to do what? At one point, God began to do what Romans 1 says. I I give you over. I give you over. And I give you over. See, this is how the hardening of the heart works. Me and Tom was talking before service, and this is really a true. Remind me of this statement. The most dangerous thing God can do for us is give us what we want. Man, when He gives us what we want, ends up in a road that's not good. Wow. Back to nine. We got to, we got to, I got to get us through this. <clears throat> Verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? If he, if he gives mercy or gives that, why does he? But who are you? Listen to what Paul says. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Who are we to question him? Will what is molded say to his molder, why have you made me like this? It would be like this building telling the builder, I didn't want that wall there. It would be like the car telling the maker, I didn't want to be that color. You and I are the being molded by God, so therefore we're made, we were made by God in a very specific way. Can, can you, will you just bask in that truth for a minute and say, God has made me who I am. Most of us spend our whole lives trying to be somebody else. And God has just made you to be who you are. For His very purpose is very real. And we fuss and we argue and we fight. God, why'd you make me like this? I wouldn't do this if you didn't do that. You could be, this could be different. God, you've made me this very way, this very purpose. Let's continue. Verse 22. Well, I'll finish that. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honor, honorable use, the other for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? For His known His power. It's His plan. It's work. In order to make known the riches of His glory for the vessels of mercy, which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He has called, 
Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he said in Hosea, look at what he said. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. For in her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. His mercy, His grace. Do you get that? Our best three minutes deserved hell. But God has said, and I call you my child. I bring you into my family. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because I'm showing you my mercy, grace, and love. Look, he answers the question about Israel. Stay with me. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Well, stay with me. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. But He didn't. You see, we didn't. If God had not, if God had not showed His mercy, you and I, you ever think about where you might be today had God not shown His mercy and grace on you? Have you ever thought about where you might be today? Where your kids might be today. God had not shown His mercy and grace on you. Now, let's let's turn this thing. Verse 30. What shall we say then? Listen to what Paul says. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is what? By faith. Well, I've got to figure out my PowerPoints better than I. By faith. By faith. Do you see that? What is faith? What is faith? Faith is not works. Though faith brings about works, but faith is not works. Faith is what? Faith is repenting from what you believed was going to make you right with what you believed was going to make you right with God or what you were living for or what you were living in. And it's turning It's turning to the one who can save you and trusting and believing that Jesus lived a life that you and I could not live, died a death that you and I should have died, and God raised him from the dead, gave him a name above every other name so that you and I could be found in him. Be found in him. That's what faith is. Look, so the the Gentiles were saved what? the righteous that is by faith. Now look at verse 31. You've got to see this. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Watch. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were a based on works. Boy, now listen. Paul's just throwed us a curveball, ain't he? Because he spent the first 29 verses talking about his, he gives mercy to who he gives mercy, he gives grace to who he gives grace. 
And then he comes over here to verses 30 through 33, and he says what? It was by faith. It's by faith. That the Gentiles received it by faith, and the Jews missed it. Not pursuing by faith. You say, how were the Jews missed it? Not pursuing by faith. Think about this. And then think about our own life. The Jews had a law and they had a sacrificial system. If they did this sin, they brought this sacrifice to the temple. Okay? To live by faith would have been to brought the sacrifice with a motive in our heart saying, God, I am sorry. Well, that sin. I'm broken over that sin. And I bring this sacrifice and I'm trusting that its blood will satisfy you until there's a day coming that a future sacrifice will take away the sins of the world. But instead, what they did is begin to say, I did this, so therefore I can do this. So the sacrificial system become a way for them to continue in their lifestyle. See, God never intended us for to stay where we're at. Would you let me let remind you of Romans two, verse four? You heard me talk about this verse a lot. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to what repentance? His goodness, His grace, His mercy—it changes us. It brings us to repentance. Changes us. When it's not pursued by faith, there's never repentance in the life. It's just a cycle. See, pursued by faith, the evidence of a life pursued in faith is repentance ongoing in your life. That I'm repenting, that I'm changing. It's the evidence of the faith. Look further with me. Know that. But as it were based on the works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Talking about Jesus. And then look at what he says. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him. Now, let me give you some thoughts. I want to go back to the title of this message, which was, you don't have to go on the screen, but I want you to think about it. Contradicting concepts. How in the world, how in the world can it be that God elects and gives mercy to some and hardens others, predestines, but then yet, on the other side of this, says they missed it because they did not pursue Him by faith. Two, two contradicting concepts. I think there's a slide for that. If the Bible affirms, if the Bible affirms two apparently contradicting concepts, you and I must do the same. If someone is in heaven, it is because God showed mercy to them. Would you hear me? Would you hear this last statement? 
If someone is in heaven, it is because God showed mercy to them. If someone is in hell, it is because they rejected the gospel. If someone is in heaven, it is because God has shown mercy on them. If someone is in hell, it is because they have rejected the gospel. The Bible affirms two apparently contradicting concepts. You and I don't understand that. We don't get it. We don't have to understand it. We don't get it. We're not God. I think somebody was telling me that Charles Spurgeon said this too. That when we're in heaven for a thousand years, we're still not going to get it. We're still not going to understand it. But you and I, there's a culture in the church today that's trying to make us choose one or the other. We don't have to choose one or the other. We have to know that God elects and gives mercy. And God, if you reject, you will reject. But it'll be by your faith that you come to Christ in Jesus. They fit together. You say, how do they fit together? I don't know. But I know God is good and just and right. And I know the Bible teaches both. So I believe them both. I believe the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And how does that work? I don't know, but God does it. As we close, how do we respond to a message like this? I think I've got a slide for this. First of all, you're here this morning. You've heard the gospel. Man, you've heard rest in the truth that God has shown us mercy and we do not deserve it. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 when he said, All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. This is what he meant. He said, he said man, he said, I just want you to take a break and rest. Rest. You don't have to worry. Rest because I've got you. I've got you. I'm keeping you. You belong to me. And listen, today, if your eyes have been opened to the gospel for the first time and you're saying, man, I can't believe what Jesus did and and my life is to turn from what I believe to turn to Him and you want to turn to Him and say, I trust you with everything that's in me. Man, if that's you, today's your day. Man, today is your moment. Don't turn it away, but receive it. Receive it. Say, I want Christ today. I want to put all of my faith and trust in Him. For the rest of us, you say, man, I have believed and I know, Chris. Then what do we do? Continue to pursue it by faith. What does that mean? Not like the not like the Israelites who brought it week after week, month after month, year after month, and it was just a it's just a works based religion. Just a works based religion. No, but a faith that brings about repentance in our life because of His mercy and goodness and love that He shows us. 
live a life of faith. Guys, it is both. Will the worship team come? If you need to come this morning and you want to come and receive Christ this morning as your Savior, you want to receive this gift, this mercy, you say, how do I know that it's me? Listen, you've heard the gospel. It's, up, it, it's in your hands this morning. It's yours. Give the gospel. Receive Him. Trust in Him. If not, if you're already there, man, will you ask yourself, have I begun working? Am I working? Am I working? Have I turned church and Bible study and all this stuff, have I turned it into works? Or am I living by faith? Let's stand. Let's worship this morning. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other i've known you as a father i've known you as my friend and i have lived in the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will see of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me With my life laid down I surrender now I give you everything is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I surrender
Can we just 
bask in the truth that God has had mercy on us. We did not deserve that, or it wouldn't be mercy, right? Bask in that truth. Second thing is, before we do that, we the the Dill family, Jeanette and Alan, Cheyenne and, and Skyler, y'all think they probably belong here. They've been here for several years, but they've not officially joined the church, and they want to join the church this morning. Uh, so uh, I have a motion to say yes, Richard, uh, and I second Doug, and all in favor say amen. All right, guys, grateful for that family. Love them and enjoy them. Listen to me. If you've struggled with today's message, you should have. (laughs) There's nothing easy about this teaching. But struggle with it. Work through it. And I'll be willing to have many conversations with you about it. Been struggling with it for years myself. Just believe they're both. Both are there. I can tell you other reasons, but I won't. But just know it's okay to struggle. Guys, as we take communion, there's still opportunity. If you want to come and talk to me about your salvation, about following Christ, I want you to do that. Let's continue to worship. Jesus' name, I 
Heavenly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me both now and forever God you're so God, you're so good. One more time. Sing with us. God, you're so Timothy may have asked Paul, does Israel mean that God's word failed if they were called and they rejected? And he takes chapter 9 to say, absolutely not. Chapter 8 is for real. If we're called, we're foreknew, predestined, justified, glorified, and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, go and bask in that truth. I love you. Have a good day. I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I am saved in Jesus' name. 
highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. So 